Welcome to Patent Pending. I'm your host, Gabriel Moncow. Today I'm joined at the top right by Maya El-Sharif, the sheriff herself, long-standing Crown Jewels member, engineering notebook aficionado, and the loudest one at any event. At the bottom left, Liza Goldstone, reigning president of Robotics and Women in STEM Club, Coder Gal's founder, and most importantly, TSA Systems Control winner. And Christian Urbanek at the bottom right, uh, many years as a Fatherboards member, recently turned Crown Jewels programmer, but most known for saying, what's up gamers, that one time. So, how are you guys today? Awesome. Glad to have Splendid. you. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll just jump right into it then. Um, what were you guys up to before you joined robotics? Like, how, how did these fields sort of get to exist? And what were you doing before then? How was it all at the start? I feel like it's very different from what we have nowadays. I can start. <laughs> I was before robotics in, I started robotics in eighth grade. Before that, I was the athlete chorus kid. I um, pretty much participated in a billion different forms of theater and chorus and those types of things. And I played soccer, tennis, and lacrosse, and I loved it. Completely different field of interest, loved debate. Um, never really knew I could code, never really knew I could build anything, but was in a completely different field with a team, and that was pretty much all I knew. Um, in terms of, in terms of, oh, Christian, you can go. No, okay. Are you want me to go? Yes. Okay. Okay. So for me, I was actually very similar to Maya. Um, I was actually a pretty competitive swimmer when I was in middle school and I was also in band at the time. So those were like, those really took up the majority of my time. Um, and I, I also didn't really have any inclination that I wanted to do or would be interested in anything technologically related or robotics. And so um, I, I eventually did find it though in eighth grade. And that was when I started it. I joined like our robotics club, which wasn't really a club. I was like the only person in it. Me, me and Andrew Chung were in it and that was it. And our English teacher was was the person who taught it because that's how that works. And then, <laughs> and then I actually just joined robotics in ninth grade and the rest is history. The rest is history. I like that. Um, I started doing or getting involved in tech in eighth grade. Um, it sort of just happened. We were in a wheel class and went from art to writing workshop. And then one of the things that we were also doing was computer science with Mrs. Saunders. Um, and I really enjoyed sort of like programming the Arduinos and lighting up different lights and making cool patterns. Um, and I also built a relationship with Ms. Mrs. Saunders and that sort of sparked my interest and involvement. Um, and then I started working on TSA in eighth grade and that was my sort of first big introduction to the potential and my interest in STEM. That's interesting. That's definitely, I was not aware of the whole athletics behind everybody here. Uh, that's, that was surprising. Um, but back then, <laughs> I know that Christian men mentioned Chung was around and um, TSA has been mentioned as well. Were there any sort of other big names that might not be around anymore, either in terms of people or organizations that you guys took part in? Like what else was there around the STEM fields when you were getting started? Um, for me, it was first an FLL. I actually participated in Lego before I came to high school and got involved. And that was my first introduction. And also just learning the basics of like Python and like that type of thing. Cause I had a feeling I was going to go into VEX before I came to the high school, but VEX was like extremely underdeveloped at our school before, um, the first program took off. So 
I was lucky to say that my, my, like my sister and like a lot of the younger kids are getting more involved in Vex as it models more for like the robots that we build. But I would say that um, those were like the bigger companies that I knew of other than TSA and first. Yeah, for me, there like wasn't, um, I don't re since I wasn't really involved, there wasn't a lot of people that I, I know now. Um, I, I know there were quite a few people who were like in robotics in eighth grade in middle school who didn't even like attempt to do it in high school. But I, I barely know any of the people. Um, and yeah, it was pretty much the same, like uh, where I, like it's still FLL in middle school. It always has been uh, where I went to middle school and um, yeah, it's FTC in high school, which, which started the year, which started in my eighth grade year. Mm -hmm. So I uh, kind of my freshman year was like the, the first year, like everyone had like their feet set and were ready to go at the beginning of that year. So it sounds like when you guys were getting started, like you guys are frequently associated with being some of the like more ancient almost members of robotics nowadays, very, very well tenured, have been here for a long time. But it sounds like things were pretty established to a certain extent already. Um, did you guys feel like your first few years you were getting into something where people already kind of knew what was going on and you guys were sort of figuring it out or was it fresh for everybody? In my opinion, it was pretty fresh for everybody. Um, my eighth grade year was the first year that they started sort of advocating for tech a lot at school. Um, so we had a new makerspace that was built and that was the first year that was around. So TSA was like, that was the first year they were running TSA at school, or at least for us. Um, so it was, I think it was all pretty new. And as I was finding my way and sort of becoming more aware of, of the tech vocab and sort of like the different programs that were available, I think everybody else was too. I think it was all pretty new. I had a very different experience, I would say, than Liza. I actually started robotics with Liza in that small, it was a small group of like four of us. Like it wasn't like the development that it had now. And I would say FLL and like middle school robotics programs were still very underdeveloped and we were growing. We were the first in the guinea pig group of like learning how to fit into a space that had been developing for a little bit before our entry into it. And I think that um, FTC was a little bit of a different story um, for me, I feel like when I came, there was a group of teams and each team had a model that they proposed and a model that they lived by. And they entered the space and promoted that ideology, whether it be the more business side of robotics or the more um, robot part of robotics. And I think that the design game was a different story for each team and it didn't really change. And I think that the people that had started those teams um, knew what they wanted and didn't necessarily have the flexibility to develop the team farther until they had to leave and move on with their program. And I think that, I think our program this year has grown the most I've ever seen it grown in my years in robotics, only in terms of the group of people that were involved, the teams that were involved, and the fact that so many younger people who had so much more experience than any of us at that age um, were able to bring their thoughts and their passion for a thing that they've done an equal amount of time to the playing field. Because as someone, for me as a junior this year, going to be a senior, this is my fourth, that was my fourth year of robotics ever. And for them, it's been since fifth grade and now they're here and they have equal experience to me in an activity that usually that's not the case for. For me, it seemed pretty established. Um, 
in, in middle school, like I said, like I wasn't really a part of like the main structure of robotics. So I really had no idea what was going on. I was just kind of, I was kind of vibing out every, like every like Thursday afternoon, like trying to figure out how a Lego robot worked. But when I came to high school and like, I actually took it more seriously, like, like uh, a lot, like what Maya said, it was very, very, like when I came in, even though it was already the second year, like very, people had already like found their camps or whatever. And so people kind of had these groups that they were sticking to. And they had like, like she said, different ideologies of how to like be a team. And so it, I didn't really even get really a say on what I did. They just kind of like stuck me somewhere. Yeah. I think it's super cool though this year, I guess as being the younger one in the, in the chat. Um, I learned a lot from those older people and I'm happy that it was established in some capacity. But at the same time, I think I took their best attributes and was able to find um, a newfound form of how our team ideology could be in the future if we took the best from each of them and put them in like a cohesive group. So I think Liza and I can speak to the fact that like our team captains before were very big on making an impact on the STEM community from a more like women in STEM, people in STEM, spirit in STEM aspect um and the father boards were really big on the like design process and the hardcore development of engineering and i think christian brought a lot in terms of he had dabbled in frc but also the code and the technicality piece and what was a feasible option for our teams and i think as teams that are very well um were mentored from each other i learned so much from both sides of that story and pretty much playing the game in the way that we could and not the game as it like could be perfect. In a perfect world, we'd obviously want every single one to like be 3D printed and like be able to approach that. But I obviously don't think that as our teams grow, we continue to realize what is feasible for the people on our team now that we think we can accomplish to the best of its abilities. And I think that's so cool. I think that's definitely interesting, the different approaches and like how you guys have, have worked through those. So in those first few years when you guys had first come onto this scene and you had seen what there was and this, these different approaches, what were you guys' like first reactions? How did things sort of uh, shape up for you? Was there something that didn't go as you, as you thought it would or was there something that really surprised you pleasantly or unpleasantly? Go ahead. I, <laughs> um, I would say at the beginning, it was all very new um, and there were sort of already designated roles and designated ideas as we've been talking about about like this team focuses on this and this team focuses on this and not on this mm -hmm. um and i feel like as i entered the program i had to little like i had to prove myself and show that i was there and that i wanted to be there and that i was willing to learn mm -hmm. um and that I don't know if that's necessarily because I was the youngest member or because I was a female and um, mainly male program at the time. I think I think both of those factors played into it. But I felt that I had to prove myself not so much to my team. Um, I proved myself to my team by showing up, but I had to prove myself to other people um, by gaining experience, doing outside research showing what I could do. Uh, for me, off the bat, not going to lie, things were, were, were pretty bleak. Um, you know, like, like I said, I basically got stuck on, on a team that was like pretty much entirely new people because that was what they did in those years. And 
they people quickly learn that is not a good system because you have like no one with no experience. And so um, I didn't really feel like I had to prove myself at all. But at the same time, I actually just had to like figure out what was going on because I had zero idea of how to like do anything that was like required of me. And so it kind of it kind of was a, a grind. I had, I had to like figure out things. And, and I especially had to look to the upperclassmen at the time who really did know things because there were some that were extremely smart. And they taught me things about how to like design, build, and also program, which are invaluable today at the same time. So it really helped me to um, learn how to do things at that time. I was intimidated by robotics when I started in ninth grade because I think every kid when they go into ninth grade went from being like the alpha in their in their field in eighth grade like everyone was new to robotics in middle school like everyone was figuring it out and that was okay like it was okay to not know and I think that when I came to upper school not knowing for some of the upperclassmen was like a sign of weakness in a way like it was it was, if you lost a match, it was like a negative thing instead of just being a learning experience. And I think that our our team quickly grew on me. I wasn't a big fan of the whole two-two spirit, cheer loud person, but I think a lot of people now would say that probably the loudest person in the room, no matter what, <laughs> and I bleed pink, um, it's everything that I do. And I think that it was an experience to learn Playing the game of first is really different than just robotics in general. I think it's it's a company that likes to encourage people and inspire people to join STEM, even when they're not good at it. And I think that that's, for me, the biggest strength of just like learning the mechanics, but also learning how to become a family and participate in a team project, even when a wire gets cut or a wheel falls off. And I don't know, I think that the upperclassmen taught me a lot about that, but I also think that there was a lot of development that had to be done in terms of being more open to accepting newbies and being more open to incorporating new thoughts, even when they may be wrong and learning how to teach people that in their own manner. Because if you just tell someone that they're wrong, they don't ever, that, that A, that might not be true. And B, it also might be hurtful in a way that they, they have to explore the way you did. Like upper class and sometimes forget that when I was in ninth grade, I knew nothing. And I, <laughs> I'm a very intimidating person, I would say, as I come across. So upperclassmen were less likely to teach me because I was scary. And I think it was funny because I was scared of them the same way they were scared of me. And <laughs> I think that my goal, at least in the future, and from these lovely seniors have they taught me is sometimes it's okay to be intimidating, but it's even more important to be a friend before your team. You, we became a family really quickly. I'm gonna miss them so much. I'm gonna miss you all so much. And I, I love my freshmen. I love them with a passion. I talk to them about their day before we even talk about the robot. And I think that is what robotics taught me so much more is you can accomplish so much more when you love a group of people and respect their ideas. Um, and it's something that I wish the upperclassmen had taught me sooner. So that's interesting. Before we before we move on from like the first the first like impact that you guys had in here, I do want to see one thing so that we can compare 
how things were back then to how they are now, because I think a lot of people might not really be able to visualize how the scene has changed. So who was in the iLab, whether it be teachers or students, who were like the big names that might be associated with leading the teams? And what were the actual teams? Like, was there a team that existed then that doesn't now? Or was there an idea for a team that changed or something like that? Ooh. Oh my. Danger zone. So Um, many things changed. We had three teams, I think, for a while. Um, Shark Beta, Fatherboards, Crown Jewels. Um, I think Christian was the OG Shark Beta leader of the pack. And honestly, I know he doesn't notice it, but we all knew that Christian was the carrier of that team in every way, shape, and form. He held people accountable. He led a team that didn't really have a stable mentor for a long time and didn't have the quote-unquote reputation in the community that all the other teams had but made it so that it did um like everyone left knowing christian and shark beta but they were kind of tied at the time and then liza was on crown jewels the whole time but we all knew that the crown jewels was led by caitlin ackerman and danielle behar love them to death but they were very high spirit 30, we had 30 seniors that were all female and we were the all female team for as long as we can remember. Um, and then I think Liza took over and Shane took over and they became the leaders of the pack and they were very well known. So like, I would say, so Christian switched to fatherboards shortly after. Um, it was a more developed team. Y guy, my boy Wyatt, and then Gabe Aguiar. And then there was Skipper before that. Um, no, no, Zipper. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. So actually, uh, I don't. Not a lot of people know this. If they weren't around me, I've actually spent the most time on Shark Beta out of all the teams because Shark Beta was the rookie team, hence like Beta. Actually, no, it's a pun on Shark Beta or something. It's a really bad name. Avi Avi Sharma came up with it. If you remember him, actually, I don't know who came up with it. You but, it was, I know Harrison was involved in that yeah. process. Harrison was the captain. So like the, the structure of Shark Beta was dump all the rookies on it. And then um, there's like one experienced leader. So Harrison was that leader freshman year. He was a pretty good, he's a pretty good, like, um, he knew what he was doing. He wasn't necessarily a leader because again, like he didn't really teach me. In fact, there was actually one time he I actually did something and he took it apart. <laughs> And then, and then, Mr. Be the first time, and then, Stork. And then Mr. Mr. Trask, who was in Mr. Stevens' role at the time, good old Mr. Trask, was um, he watched the whole thing but didn't tell me Harrison took it apart. And he told my parents, and they told me, I, I, I was so like, I was like, what? why is he just like letting this happen? And anyway, whatever, <laughs> things so haven't then, changed. So then, at the end of my freshman year, Zipper or Skipper, as he's apparently known, <laughs> got a new name. Yeah, he, he had like this meeting. So this was very odd. The po- I think, uh, postmortem or whatever like that. Yeah. And so so he he deemed me, de- deemed, I don't know, he, he named me captain of Shark Beta for, for my 10th grade year. I didn't want to go back there because I knew it was going to happen again. But I didn't really get a choice. So I uh, basically became captain. And that was where I met Alex Koss because he was new that year. Mm-hmm. And Patrick Byrne, if you remember him. And we were like the three musketeers of that team. Like, like you have to find people who are reliable and who will come and they would always come and Matt, like mad respect to them. Cause, cause they really helped me to figure out how to like lead a team 
because I had zero experience with that. I barely even knew how to build a robot. And somehow I got forced on the, the captainship role. And then, so yeah, we did, we did well that year. And then Alex and I basically jumped ship because we were like, uh, yeah, it wasn't worth to stay there any longer. Um, I want to draw a little bit of attention too to like the robotics program as a whole and sort of the evolution it's had, um, at least from my starting years. I would say at the beginning of my freshman year, my first year of upper school, um, the robotics program was very separated. It was three teams. Yeah. And I say proudly right now that I think the robotics program is a program altogether. We are, as our mentor likes to say, one team, many robots. And I think that's true. Sometimes you very robots. Before. Um, I think that. Yes, Um, but I think we all are more willing to help each other and work together between teams. It's the team division um, is less noticeable, especially from the outside. From the outside, we're one group. um, And I think that we've become a lot better. Um, All the teams have become strengthened because everyone's working together and more supportive of each other. Yeah. I would also agree with Liza in the context that I thought it was very gendered when I first started as well. Um, it was very like Shark Beta and Father Boards were both very male dominated teams and um, Crown Jewels was only female. Like you, if you were a male, like you were not allowed on the team. Um, and then my sophomore year, Liza's junior year, um, we were like, that's not gonna work. Like <laughs> we were like, this is so bad because one of the worst parts of robotics, and I think is still a fight, is we're just, sometimes we forget to listen to the other gender, um, whether we, that's females not listening to males or males not listening to females. And I think that's kind of the problem with STEM as a whole. And you could really see it in both the STEM community as a whole and FIRST as a whole, as well as like our community in the iLab where like males were like, if there was a female on a team who was leading a team and like there was, they, a male disagreed with her thought it was immediate like belittling and vice versa. Like, I think that we now have moved to such a developmental phase of like the integration is unreal. Like I feel like I'm best friends with so many of the males in robotics and I look up to them and I hope in some attributes they look up to me and vice versa. Like I think that the younger kids are more ingrained with the older kids and don't feel inferior in a sense. And I think that I think that we were kind of allied to be mentors to one another, no matter what, based on what skills we had and what skills we could learn. I know Christian was very good at code and Liza was very good at wiring and mechanics. And both of them have taught me so much, um, even before they were on both on the same team. So I think that that was important for our, our school as a whole to develop that type of interworking and the ability to like hang out on a Saturday and just eat pizza. Like that was, I think that's the funniest part. Like we could all laugh together and eat pizza together and then go build two separate robots. But like we were technically building one robot. Like, And I think that was so cool, at least. Right. One of the things that I guess the robotics program now really advocates is diversity in every sense. Diversity in like where you're coming from, if you play sports or you do this or you're in debate, we've got lots of different kinds of activities, lots of different kinds of people, all like both genders, all identities are represented, um, all grade levels are represented. And I think that the the space we work in 
like the physical space and the emotional space is very inclusive. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I still think there's room for it to grow. Um, by no means do I think the work is done. I think that we have a lot less people than I would like in robotics. We have a lot less of that diversity just because of how deeply ingrained it was before we started. But I think that especially this year, the growth that we've seen in terms of the family mentality and the more welcoming nature of robotics in that, like my freshman year, if you were in robotics and something else, it was like, oh, you can't handle that other thing. Like, but this year I feel like we're all in so many other things, like whether it be band or whether it be crew or if it's soccer or if it's like, you're the next like Picasso. We, we have all those types of people in the lab all the time and it's functional. Like we still, we didn't compromise our teams because of that, but we just diversified the thought and the idea that you can be amazing engineers while being the best person in your community and being the best artist and being the best student at the same time. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. We even had people on TSA and robotics. Mind blown, <laughs> both sides of the river. Uh, but that's that's definitely interesting. So you guys have been here for a while, right? Now that we've kind of gotten into robotics in the story, um, as you guys have spent time in this program, we've talked a lot about how it's changed culturally and things like that. Um, but do you think that there were big changes in terms of like a turning point, whether it be the way that other people saw robotics or whether it be funding for robotics or whether it be the structure of like, I don't know, leadership positions or something. Was there some sort of turning point where you feel like robotics either went more mainstream or had some sort of big change from the way you guys saw it? I've been here too long. Let me say that. I've been in robotics too long, but that's no, kind of a joke. But actually, I'd, I'd say there has not been a turning point. Every year I've been in robotics, unfortunately, there's been less and less people Mm. Um, I think you could argue this year there were more because there were actually, this was the first year there were actually freshmen who I, yeah. I witnessed who were like really, um, like trying to do things and consistently come in, in a while, like arguably since like Maya or no, actually, wait, <laughs> no, actually, no, 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 there, there were people, wait, I know what you're no, saying, no. Christian, no, there's what? more. Because yeah. no, I think robotics I, I, is developing faster yeah, than I think upper school is for sure. Yeah, because the a lot people of feeding in the people. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say. The people feeding in from middle school are beginning to be more consistent than usual, and there yeah. are people who have throughout their upper school career now begun to become more consistent as well. And so, in that way, high school's catching up. Yeah. But in a way, though, it, it's kind of hard because, like, I just remember my freshman year, there were like so many more people than. Like, especially on the father boards. Yeah, I would agree with that. I can't speak to the same light that I think the seniors can too, because I, they were with the robotics program far before I was. Um, but I, I can say that personally, I do not think there was one turning point so much as the group of people changed and the dynamic changed. So like when those really like ingrained seniors left and moved on, we had to figure it out. And I would say like last year was the hardest year of doing that because we just, both teams just lost so many people. And I think that all of those teams, like I can say at least from the Crown Jewels, like we lost 30 people. Like it was just like a huge chunk of seniors were made, were made up our team. And I think that Shark Beta kind of had to face that this year and the Fatherboards had to face that this year more so than us. But um, 
it was still like tr really trying to trick fill those teams with new exciting people that could do what build on the team's legacy but also be their own individuals um because i think that's the beauty of like seniors graduating and moving on it's just like you change a team based on the people that it is made of and i think that for liza and i we've just we've been friends forever and i was lucky to become really good friends with both gabe and christian in the last two years um but i think that it really changed how we approached it like i think that christian wasn't on the crown jewels before then he came on the crown jewels and like that was just a change i think in both how he had to view robotics and how we viewed robotics and like we we laughed so much like the promote video like what was that like <laughs> i don't know we pulled we pull things out of nowhere and i think that that's that's what changes the robotics program we make people change the robotics program um but i also think that we know where our flaws are and where we need to we all acknowledge that we need more skills and workshops and development in the like nitty gritty of robotics and I hope that that happens in the future because I think it could be the difference between like worlds and not. That's interesting for sure. Uh, and I think that that contrasts pretty heavily with like the TSA episode that I did. Uh, in TSA, something that we talked about for quite a while actually was how when the fashion design team won nationals, they saw a bit of an explosion where there was a lot more interest around TSA. There was a lot more people joining. Um, there was a lot more insight or, or people looking into TSA and seeing what they were doing. So you guys, you, say, you said that you, it's almost more like a, like a gradient of progression going through robotics rather than a turning point like that. But do you think that it's been sort of like a linear growth or, I mean, you've mentioned that we've been losing people. Uh, where do you sort of think that's gone? You seem to be mentioning yeah. up and down. Yeah, my, Maya's motion really captured it well <laughs> right there. It, it, it's it comes in waves. It, it's it's really it's hard. It's sign graph. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I feel like it's almost like people like <laughs> wait. I don't know who mentioned it, but but they mentioned people were actually in both robotics and TSA, and that was such a revelation because people were choosing between robotics or TSA, For sure. and it's because it's actually pretty difficult to do both. I was gonna do both, and then I and then I did it, and then I was like, no, this is terrible, and then I dropped out of TSA because. Yeah, I, I mean that was everything though. I think I, like I was told in freshman year you can't do debate in robotics; it'll never work. And I was like, bet. And I think that <laughs> I think that that's what needs to be promoted. I think Christian's very right about that. It it should be a bet. Like you should be allowed to try everything and then figure out what you love. Like we don't, but I also don't think the robotics program now needs you to. You don't have to be there every single day for 8 billion hours a day to make a difference on the team. Like just some some kids, like freshmen especially, are there all the time and we love that. But some freshmen in and out throughout the week and they're equally as valuable in some contexts, especially at competitions and the growth process because they prove to people that you can be more than just one thing. In terms of the physical growth of our team, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I, I don't necessarily agree with like the size or like population of the robotics program that you guys are saying. I feel like maybe it was like a little bit like, I mean, I, I think it's been growing in terms of numbers um, since the beginning of my time. I know that at one point we had a lot of like more members or at least on the Crown Jewels, we had a lot of seniors. Um, but I don't think that all of them were necessarily so involved in the day-to-day -day process of robotics. I think they showed up to competitions and you definitely need people like that. Um, but I don't know 
that I would say that we had like one big year and then a small year. I think this has been our biggest year um, in terms of participation because we have that influx of kids from middle school who already know about what robotics is. Um, and I know when I came in, I didn't really know what robotics was. I just like done some stuff with programming before. Um, so I think that every year we're gonna be sort of improving our ability to lead and our ability to have people who are interested um, and which I think is a big piece, so. I actually am gonna add on to what Liza said. I think, yes, we always, at the beginning of every year we get an influx of people and this year a lot more of them stuck. But I think the scariest part is a lot more of them don't stick. And I, I think that that's what's really frightening for me as a person. Like when reflecting as like a captain or reflecting as just a member of the team, like you start questioning, what are we doing wrong that people love something so much and then end up hating it or being disincentivized to continue it in the future? Um, because there were times this year even where I was just like, oh, I'm fully going to quit. Like I was just like, I can't. And it, it becomes a lot, like it can become really stressful. I know we had one competition where the penalties just made me want to like, I just wanted to throw up the whole time. I was like, one more penalty, I'm leaving. <laughs> There's no point, but that stuff happens and you laugh about it. I think at the end of the year, we ended up laughing about it so much. It became highlight of the season. <laughs> um, but there are times where you love it. And there's times where people, mentors, teachers make you feel super motivated. And there's times where they don't. And I think that, that that can make or break a team in a lot of ways. I think the person who leads the team, the adult who gets to call the shots, the students that get to call the shots can make people love an activity or make people hate it. And I think that sometimes we walk that line very closely in our robotics program that a lot of people end up leaving, especially like I'm really worried about the females um, in our group. We see less and less every year. We have like five in the robotics in the iLab right now and that's really frightening considering we have like 30 to 40 in the teams overall so you know that's something that's to be considered like what is causing those shifts and I have my own personal thoughts on that but <laughs> that's kind of like the external perspective yeah I agree I agree with Maya she she brought up a great point about the people not sticking and and and, and that's been a, a very large issue for a while at the beginning of the year people are extremely motivated to like even just start an extracurricular or, or do just about anything. And so this is this happens quite frequently in robotics because I, there's no like great application system like TSA, which is, it sounds like they're starting to do something like that, or at least for the for the leadership of the of the teams. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so like a lot of people will join and it, it becomes very hard to know who's going to stay and who won't and and how like effective someone will be to a team yeah. because they do have to come a certain amount of time and be there to be productive and right. since, the, since the timing is so flexible for robotics it's very hard to know even on like just on a per week basis who will come when right and so having like people who you know will come is is a very important thing but also something that's increasingly rare i would say and yeah so, yeah but i also that, think iLab culture feels that a little bit. Like I would agree, like yeah. I think I started showing up 10 times more than I did freshman year, each year. Like sophomore year, I was in the iLab, like I felt like I moved in, like build a tent. And then like junior year, I was like, I don't even need a tent. I think I need a mini fridge at this point. Like I think that, and they would both agree, I think in that context, like 
I think we all kind of moved into the iLab a little bit and like we were like, okay, like we're gonna get snacks, like we're gonna be here for a while. Like Christian and I started filming vlogs at one point. <laughs> like you had yeah, to entertain yourself. <laughs> like, but I mean, like we had to we had to talk about our day and like study for econ while you're in the iLab while like someone else is fixing a wheel or study for like some random calc test that like has nothing to do with what you're doing in the iLab, but you have to study, but just being there is enough for your team, like if in case the code malfunctions while they're running driver practice or in case the entire robot gets taken down a week before. Like, um, I think those experiences really teach you something. And also like just having, having people in the iLab is more important to me as a person than having like everyone who's Einstein in the iLab, if that makes any sense. Um, like when people come and freshmen want to come and they're just sitting there doing nothing but learning and just observing and, finding parts and knowing where to go and calling parts by their names or seeing driver practice, those things make or break a robotics team three years down the line. Like me seeing Liza and Shane last year work as hard as they did and seeing Christian build a team from nothing to something, those things made or break my experience in robotics in junior year. And I, I'm really, I really hope that continues. I think we have some amazing freshmen and sophomores right now that are super, super motivated I just hope that that motivation doesn't get crushed by the people they surround themselves with and the classes and coursework that they take on that can sometimes mitigate any of your time spent in the iLab. Did you want to add something to that, Liza? I saw you you had a Sorry, question I have lots earlier. of thoughts that come into my head and then some of them just disappear. <laughs> um, um, well, one of the things I was thinking about before that Christian mentioned is the application process for TSA and how that's something new this year for the robotics program. Um, something I think TSA has that we don't necessarily have is like a lot of people who are interested um, so much so that they can be selective in the process of choosing who is on the team. In my personal belief, I don't know that that's something that I want to happen for the robotics program. I don't want it to be selective. I think anybody who wants to be involved should have some opportunity, um, especially because there are so many different facets to participating. It doesn't have to be just on the physical robot. You could be making a video or- um, Please make a video. Right. Make, make <laughs> a video. video. <laughs> <laughs> I movie. <laughs> there are just so many avenues to participate. Um, so from that respect, I think the more people, the better. Um, and that's something that our program definitely has to work on. And also, Gabe, earlier, you asked us about sort of the outside view of robotics. And my take on that is there really isn't an outside view. I don't really think people are knowing about what we're doing or the competitions we're participating in or like how we build a robot or what it looks like. Um, I don't really think people are knowing what's happening like in the behind the room or like the second room in the iLab. Um, so I guess that's something to consider for the future because they're really like, we're doing great stuff. And we have a lot of really cool people who have yeah. interesting things to say and share on our team. Um, and I think that maybe the high school community as a whole doesn't know so much what we're doing or who we are. And I think that Liza brings up a really good point in that. Um, like, okay, like let's say if it's band or orchestra or chorus, like you have a concert and like people have an understanding of what that looks like. Um, like when people are sitting on stage or when you go to a, you know football is going to result in a game like <laughs> but for robotics and i think the difference between robotics and tsa is for tsa like fashion design you're producing like an actual element of clothing and they know 
what like they're getting judged on that one time like that piece or article of clothing or they're designing a video game like you all work on and that tangible item of like here's the video game it's getting judged but robotics is not is not like that and i think it's not like robot judge robot design pass you get to go to the next step it's like a lot it's like the posters and like when people come in the island they're like why are you making posters for your robotics team and i'm like listen our robotics team is also cheerleaders and also business people and we're also marketing and we're also like have to be best friends with our enemies all the time because we have to compete with them and against <laughs> them professionalism. right you're competing with them and against them which can be really trippy and like sometimes you can go to a match have the best robot and the other person's doesn't move and you you have to deal with that and i think that that's why a number or like a score doesn't dictate the best team in the game it dictates there's so much more than that like you in i think the best teams in robotics are the ones who built the legacy and they built a team model and a robot those are the best teams in the game in my opinion because when i went to states i wasn't paying attention to necessarily just the best robot i was like ooh, like i know them from their community service in india and their outreach in the community the and their 40 purple shirts that they got to bring with them like those things matter like you recognize names you know what i mean and i think that that's that's such a big part of robotics that so many people outside of robotics don't understand yeah i agree there there's so much to like robotics specifically ftc and frc that like it overwhelms people like if 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 people don't have like an inherent intrinsic drive to really do it and want to succeed in it they're not going to because it's they're they're going to eventually kind of drop out because it's it's a lot to take in like you have to learn how to do actual robotics things like building and, and programming which are much harder than they seem i realized uh we're very quickly when i joined like and christian then say it's perfect like christian will run it with me and it's perfect and you get to the meet and like one thing changed and we're screwed yeah i i feel like i feel like that's more a me problem more than anything I, I i don't really know i don't really know why why that happens but 80 percent, 80 percent. i i give my yeah i give my work an 80 percent chance because there, there's there there's like the the like point to christian effect i like to call it that like automatically gets taken off because of me but but anyway that's like every but, team but like, every yeah. year though that was us last year too it, it yeah it, it's kind of crazy like your fault so much as it's just like the you add you had a it's the crown jewel it effect. Falls maybe apart. it's the crown jewel effect. Actually, maybe it's Stop. a team thing. Oh, snap. <laughs> you might have to change the name. Oh, you're right. Like, any, anyway, anyway. Um, we do Tiara? Like, like Maya said, there's also like the outreach stuff. Hmm. And like people don't see that either. And like, like they don't understand like how important like a notebook is until like you're like actually like realizing people are legitimately going to states who are way worse than you because their notebook is like head and shoulders above you Listen. which we had a fire notebook by the way which is why <laughs> which is why we succeeded to the degree we did and so yeah that that that's definitely a big reason i would say because another thing involved with that that also gets underrated robotics tapes takes a very special kind of leadership because you have to both be able as an upperclassman you have to both build and lead a robot which is going to be competitive while also teaching younger people how to do it at the same exact time because there's not enough time to both teach people and then do it 
So you kind of got to like learn as you go type thing. And it takes very, very special leadership capabilities to do that. Um, I've seen a lot of people, like especially in the past, who were very good at like building, mm -hmm. not teaching. And that is why the robotics program began to shrink, in my opinion, because um, people were turned away because they weren't getting to do anything. I didn't even really get to do anything. And, and, and it was really just my intrinsic drive that kept me wanting to come back. So that, that's think, another big thing. I think Christian's right on the ball with that. Like, I think that um, I had the same problem, I think. And Liza had the same problem at some point, like you, when you're not in control. But I also know, I think it's it's a little bit unique to our program um, from my understanding, because usually the teacher is the teaching and the team is the building. And there's like, I get the rookie team. A lot of teams have that, um, but that kind of falls apart when the rookies have to teach each other uh, instead of having like someone who's like elite knows, understands the program, teach the rookies and they grow and do better and still can succeed. And then you have like the one team that like they're the junior seniors figured it out, like still teaching in their off season, but are it's game mode. Like when the season hits, the game is released and they're like out there catting like that works for some teams and i think that for reasons that um a lot of us here know uh, that's not how it works and the students have a lot more responsibility in terms of like you have to be the teacher and the game player and the spirit driver and the engineering notebook printer and then you have to also buy all the stuff and then like then you show up and you're exhausted and you need a nap at competitions and you can't take a nap because you're also babysitting like i think that all of those things um, make being a student in robotics, especially an older student, super hard because you have to make all the tough calls yourself. And also, I, I would argue that it makes it, the, the, it provides definitely a lot of opportunities for growth. Yeah. Um, I know that being in the robotics program has really defined my high school career. Like I'm very proud to be a part of robotics um, and to be a part of a team. And arguably, like, some of the most important lessons I've learned are about leadership and collaboration and what's required to be, like, successful at both. Um, and part of that is due to the, the way our program is structured. So I guess from, from that outlook, we can find the, the silver lining. I agree. I, I don't think there, it's all negative. Like, I, I learned so much more about the freshmen and the sophomores and people in my, my grade has like the lowest amount right now in robotics. But I think that specifically just like looking at it, like I, the people in the robotics community who I get the pleasure to do, like hang out with every day are my best friends. And I think that that has to, that has to be it. I spend so much time with them that for first and foremost, I consider them family. Like I would check on I would literally check in on them in a heartbeat, even when they leave, like the people in this in this like group right now like i love them so endlessly like it was my first it i didn't it didn't stop when the season stopped if that made any sense like it wasn't like oh i needed them for the season and then the minute the season was over i was gonna go to a party like that wasn't the vibe at all <laughs> like i want to spend so much more time with them like outside of the lab even when we're not building and getting to know them and that's a benefit of just like making the tough calls but also getting to know people so that you can help them and grow as individuals like Christian probably like hated me by at some points of the year where I'm coming and I'm like doing the notebook and I'm like listen we got to go through every line of code um, 
every line that you just spent hours explaining to this kid, like I need you to explain to me. <laughs> and I think that there's those moments where he's like, oh my God. But also like it helped him make his code more clear and concise, I think in some capacity and helped me become a better um, member of the robotics team. But sometimes I think that when you're a mentor in terms of adults and the students don't align, it can become very difficult to do the job that you need to do. That's just my experience in robotics. That's yeah. super interesting. I think that there's a lot that definitely happens within robotics that other people outside don't see. Um, and before we moved on from like that sort of perception thing, that the, how people see robotics and vice versa, um, I did want to touch on one last thing because I feel like to a lot of people, there almost seems to be a bit of a TSA robotics rivalry. Uh, even to the TSA people themselves, they uh, they mentioned that they almost felt bad because they thought that TSA was like invading the iLab, that before robotics had like all the tables and now we're secluded to the back room. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's a thing? Dude, the rivalry over, it, it's a landslide. TSA won it by like a long shot. Yeah, I think they I won mean, it in terms of funding. They won yeah. it in terms of resources. They won it in terms of mentors. They won it in terms of space. You have an entire room. Um, we get a nice shed. Uh, <laughs> like we didn't even get to make our field because they were worried about TSA. Like I actually that that is also true. I hands down believe that TSA is backed more by admin and it's backed more by students and they rightfully so they have more people. But I also think that that doesn't discount the fact that. I feel like robotics is more of a year round thing um, in terms of like, we go to more competitions and we, it, our robots cost a lot. And sometimes our notebook costs a lot and we could do so much better. Like other teams sometimes are surprised. Like we have this mentor from another school are sometimes surprised how we can have the funding that we have and still be so um, having to figure it out ourselves in a way. Like I, I, I'm really lucky that I have the energy to put together a notebook, but it's not fun when you have to print the whole notebook at home and it's 700 pages and you can't build a field. So you have to host it at your house. Like those things make or break a team. So TSA, in my opinion, should be doing better when they have more support and they should be doing better when they have the entire iLab space and an entire room dedicated to themselves while we are crowded in the corner and can't find space for our three teams and can't find space for our field and can't find space for our stuff and get yelled at all the time for not keeping it clean when half the time that mess is just because we can't put things anywhere, um, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always interested me. I've always been curious as to why um, TSA has always been viewed as kind of a more popular option at the school. And, and there's always been a couple factors, in my opinion, uh, as I've watched this rivalry grow. I don't even know if you could call it that at this point. But, like, no, no, we, I, I love TSA. They're, they're my favorite people in the world. But um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like robotics more. I can't lie. But, but basically, all right, basically, here, here's what it is. First of all, I feel like there's a better support structure currently coming up through middle school. Um, because both robotics and TSA have like, you know, classes in middle school. And I, I, I think they're pretty evenly split. I could be wrong. But um, one thing is that like the, the like leaders of TSA in middle school are basically the same leaders in high school. You're reporting to the same people. And like, you know, these people and they're very not assertive, but they're involved to the point where like, 
you know that if you're not going to do something, you're going to get reprimanded. And that does not happen in robotics. It's so like laissez faire. So, so like up to the teams and to the students that like it can, it really shoots us in the foot because people view it as like um, kind of a secondary activity. You can just do it in the background. You can use it just for an application spot, which I know, I know some people have done in the past. And, and it works because there's really like no way to reprimand people who don't do things. And so that's kind of why TSA, oh, and TSA has also just been more successful, which is, as you were saying, kind of a big turning point in their history. And so like all this stuff has built more momentum for them and, and then they can keep going and keep getting more popular, I would say. So, I mean, I think it's pretty awesome to watch them do what they do, but at the same time, it's also kind of heartbreaking for us because we're like, man, we could be them, but we're but not. But we also, I feel like we are, we, even when we grew more successful, like our team hadn't gone to States and then went to States and States is like, getting from TSA like states to nationals is like I would say how we get from like our league to like states in a yeah. way like that it's the same battle in a way but also like different factors are playing a role than just like the one competition and like as someone who like dabbled this year in TSA um but for non-disclosure reasons <laughs> decided not to dabble in the future um <laughs> I think they're different games. They're run different ways. They're much more supported than we are. And it'll always, I think the marketing of it, the funding of it, the environment of it, also the like diversity and activities in TSA versus the like homogenized way that robotics operates. Like we have a game and they like, that is the game you're playing. Like, it's not like TSA where you can like do fashion or board game or video or like these other activities where the, it can incorporate kids who are like in more into business and more into marketing. Cause that's the like essence of TSI. It's literally like, this is the game. If you don't want to play it, you can't be in it. Like, <laughs> like that's kind of how it boils down. Like our robotics program is for first and FTC. And if you don't want to participate in FTC, like you can't, obviously you can't expect to be first sorry my parents are vacuuming one second we can fix it in post <laughs> that's certainly uh, interesting i think the tsa I, people see it a similar way but they did did they they did feel bad about that like they made sure to mention that they thought they uh were going to try to make some steps to change that in the future it's not a rivalry yes. between the, the kids participating it's not about yes that. it I is i want to portray it wrong oh no yeah throw some hands um, I don't Actually, know. I agree. I don't think it's a rivalry between like the students. Nah, I just think it's a rivalry in terms of like our space and our funds. Like there's so many times I reflect this year and I was like, if we only had a field for that competition, <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I genuinely believe that. And sometimes like funds were such a problem. Like I think Liza and Christian can speak to this dramatically. The amount of budgeting I ended up doing this year, like I thought I became an accountant at one point I was sitting there. I was like, okay, if we get X amount of good for this price, like, how many can we spend on this? And like, do we really need that? Like, we should not have to debate how, mu how much we're going to get our, for our wheels for or me waiting for a Black Friday sale. Like, I think that's the difference. Like TSA, like they do everything the week or two weeks before for the most part, like some of their teams and some of their really good teams do that. And it's usually like a couple driving factors and the rest are kind of just like there for the ride. Um, robotics is a little bit different in that capacity where we kind of all have to figure it out and be driving factors and there's things constantly changing evolving and we have more than one competitions during the year and like 
we're very alone in that ship. Like, if you want a full field, you better better be willing to fight for it. Like, you're, you can't just ask. You're going to fight. Like, you're going <laughs> to throw hands in the middle of the ILAP or, or run out crying. Like, I don't know. Like, think <laughs> Oh, no. No, actually, I was going to mention one thing Maya said. Um, I think a, another thing is TSA is much more seasonal. Every year I've, I've watched an event in, uh, I believe, uh, January to February. Oh, no, late, Jan- late, late February. I call it the TSA rush. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a two to three week period that my special iLab space that I call home gets taken up by like 10 to 12 TSA pods that are yeah. like doing all their work. And so that, that, that's two things. One, people don't have to dedicate as much time to, to um, what, what I've noticed in high school is people like to spend a lot of their time on one thing for a brief extended or, or a brief time. And TSA, you can do that. You can like, you know, do a lot of the work in like three weeks and, and set aside those three weeks for that. In robotics, it's really more constant month long months of process. And so it's much more tedious in that sense. And, and that's another thing that I think makes TSA much more applicable to our school in general, because that's how people like to operate and be successful in things. But also like that, I think that two week period speaks volumes about the rivalry in a way where it's like, that's our rundown. This they overlap. That's our rundown to states as well. Um, and sometimes I would say that it becomes even more apparent the priorities when it's like they're both running down to the hour and like where where priorities are going in terms of resources, ordering, teachers, mentors, chaperones, and like, hours, all of that. Exactly. Like I think that I don't know. I've never been more stressed out than trying to accomplish the posters. The tense planning the notebook like the robot we almost like rebuilt an entire new robot like those things that are so key to states versus leagues because the difference people don't understand but like leagues is like like baby amateur hour and like child play states is like okay like i did not go to africa to mentor a team like (laughs) i (laughs) did not i didn't even know there was a team in africa and now i'm over here and i got on the bus after states and i was like i'm gonna call everyone i know that i can call in first and get like a team and obviously you all will hear about the journey but won't be part of it unfortunately um Hey, but you like, can use this podcast. Put this in the engineering notebook. Just a hint. Yeah, and get it. So Gabe, Gabe, edit that out. Don't We're don't. We're so let... lucky. Don't get me wrong. To have the resources we have, but we also don't have the connections that I think some teams have the benefit of having in terms of their mentors. And I think that for us, that means learning from states. I've never learned more than I did at states, um, both mechanically and just in terms of outreach and the potential that we have as a community to like call a team or Skype or Zoom a team up in India and like, or in Israel or in Palestine or in anywhere, like any, there's so many teams across the world, South Africa, France, Argentina. We watched a team and learned from them in Colombia, I think it was like um, a video on YouTube. And I think that that is the make or break moment for us. Whereas TSA is less of the like gradual development and more of like the snap your fingers, put it together then if you pass on nationals, snap your fingers, put it together. But you guys have the summer play and we are over here and our biggest hours, our most important decisions have to be made in two week, three week periods. And that's really hard to do um, when we don't have the amount of support we have in those two week period that I feel like TSA has. 
Yeah, that's that's certainly interesting to see how other STEM competitions are a bit different from robotics. It's certainly unique in that way. Uh, but I think we've kind of gone through the history of robotics now where we're up to present day. Um, mm. So instead of, I think we've mostly covered pretty much all like what you guys think are the greatest strengths right now or greatest weaknesses right now, where we are. So the question then is, where do you guys think we're going? Uh, what's, what's the future of robotics like? I feel like everybody has a hot take on this. I want to know what yours is. I have the hottest take of all time. Do tell. The hottest of takes. I, I've been wanting to get this out here. Any platform. I'm a huge proponent. I'm a one-team extremist. I have been for like two to three years. And, and I'm telling you, it is the system that will work for this, for this program. Because oh. it, me and Alex Cost were like the original like, like engineers behind this idea. Unfortunately, it was shot down by YGuy and Mr. Elich. But, but what, what, I've, what, I've, what I've seen every year, and, and it's so unfortunate to see it happen, is like we mentioned, this, this will people stick. You know, you might have like a 20 to 10% yield, yield rate some years of people at the first meeting versus people there a month from then. And so what happens is you start with like three teams with 15 people, which is three good, healthy teams. And then you get down to like three teams of two to five people in yep. some extreme cases and so like that is literally one team in three separate entities which is so inefficient that it's actually hurtful to the entire program in my opinion like people have to do so much and it's like hurt it's just like terrible to watch every year and so i think it should be one team amen I, it, it's kind of hard to make it work because you can i think you can only technically have like 15 on a roster so i don't really know how that would work but Basically, what people would find is if one team were to be there, you're bound to have about a 15-person team yeah. by, like, October or November, Absolutely. which is when competition starts. And then um, you and can mentor. also yeah. – that, that's another thing Maya just mentioned, mentoring. You, you can't mentor in a small team because people are too stretched thin between actually building it and then mentoring people. With this kind of team, you could have people partitioned off in groups to mentor different things while they're teaching it at the same time. Absolutely. You could actually have like a coder group of like four yep. to five people maybe. Yep. So one person could be coding the actual robot and you could have some maybe ju juniors or sophomores teaching the freshmen how to code at the same time. Which is like what all I feel like teams are right now, except us. Like, yeah. Wired, like I would say like the big teams in the game for us in leagues are wired cats and like STA and like each of them had like their team is so much bigger um each of their teams like they have multiple teams because their their programs are just much bigger than ours are at the moment um but there's at least like 30 kids on each team and they're like a group there's not just one person but like a group of people who like can cat and like a group of people who can code and like that except the one individual that has all the pressure of like coding and mentoring and i think that that's like Personally, like I, I'm drained of the engineering notebook. Like if I look at, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, uh, page. <laughs> like, and I think that sucks. Like I agree. I'm a one team advocate, but that got shut down by everyone. I got yelled at for proposing it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's again, the difference in opinion between like, like one of our mentors um, likes the idea of as many three to four person teams as possible and and that makes me want to bang my head against a table because 
like it's so hard to like be like at the end of the day the people in robotics want to be competitive it's not just about the it's it's a combination we want to teach people because the, the beauty of ftc is they've combined being competitive with teaching people that's kind of the beauty of it. it. You can teach people and that can make you competitive as a team through your engineering notebook and community outreach and, and such. So uh, actually doing both, I, I feel mean, is the biggest thing is possible. Winning Let's is fun. Winning is I'll fun. be honest. Winning is fun. I love, everyone loves to win. When we win, we win. And like we celebrate and we make handshakes to make sure we win. Um, Christian and I have a whole shenanigan that goes a on. Routine. Back when I back when I was not the worst human player of all time, <laughs> we had a we had a thing going. I, I um, held that title for a couple weeks. Yeah, you did, and then Brian took it. But Brian took it, unfortunately. I, I don't know. I am a one team advocate. I've been a one team advocate since my freshman year. Um, I think that one team, the father boards were really good at mechanics and building, and the crown jewels were really good at spirit and building aspire and outreach and mentorship. And I feel like if they had combined earlier it would have been the unstoppable team. And I, I do believe that. I do think that we had all of the people and have all the people in the iLab necessary to make our team the best it could be, but we do not utilize it to its full potential because you can't be the best teacher and the best player at the same time. It's just really hard for one person to take on. You can't be teaching all of the freshmen and dealing with all of the paperwork and all of the aspects of robotics and trying to balance it all and then still sit there at the end of the day and be like, I'm going to design the best robot. It's going to be catted two weeks in two weeks. It's just not possible. Like <laughs> I think it's, it's really not possible. And sometimes we deal with trade-offs. I remember we had a lot of discussions this year. It was like this or that, like you can't have both. And it was like, you can't be the number one team in the league in the robot and mentor when you have three people that know what they're doing on each team. Like that's just not, feasible and I don't think it's going to work I don't think it's going to work next year I think that we have a lot of like people who are doing this for college and think that the title is what matters and I guess in some in some cases that can be a real detriment to the people that are on the team what I sort of see for the program is like a transition like we're here now I see an inward toward a one team um, and then as the program sort of develops gains traction more people are interested, then we start to see that like outward flux again. Um, and I think that would be a successful sort of model. I yeah. think that right now we're sort of lacking in the interest form mm -hmm. um, and that we would benefit from having more people to work together. And then in the future, I think that having more teams gives people more of an option to step up um, and like, I, I kind of am a proponent for not one team, maybe not three, maybe like two. Um, but I, I see that working better down the line. I am a big, I, I see where Liza comes from in this capacity, but I also, um, I fear for next year in a lot of ways um, in terms of, I don't even know if we're going to have competitions. That's like the first preface. Uh, we're in a really weird time. Don't really know if we're going back to school. Don't really know if they're going to want us all in the iLab the way that we were. We were so close to one another. And without a vaccine, I don't really know if I want to touch as many people as I did or um, scream at people where the spit is just like the, the particle <laughs> of corona fly across the room. Like, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> so I'll be honest. I, we 
obviously all our seniors, there's a lot of conversation about who's going to be leading teams next year. There's a lot of conversation about Mr. Elich has kind of asserted that there will be three teams. I don't see the numbers working that way. I don't really understand the logic behind the three teams. Um, he said three teams. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. I thought yeah. I was going to be two. Yeah, actually. no, it's three. Yeah, it's going to be Bill and Sharnov and I and Elliot and someone else. We don't know where they're going to be or who's going to win those positions, but those are the people in the books. Um, Interesting. Yeah, for captains. Um, oh, is it like two captains a team again? Yeah, I think so. I I'm I kind of envisioned the robotics program as like if we were a business, if we were just one business and we had multiple departments, it would be like better. Um, like one business with a marketing department and one business with like the finances and one people group of people who deals with like the mechanics and one people who deals with like the programming and one people who deals with the wiring. Like that would be my ideal scenario. And like you can be in more than one, but like you would be like you would have a leader of each one. So like the person who is the most proficient in programming would be like leading a group of people who are also feeding in ideas and able to work on the code when they're not there. And then in future years, those departments could split up into smaller groups and then form the teams again. But right now those departments each would have about one person each in each team instead of having a department. Like it would just be like the department chair is also mentoring the other department chairs and that's kind of how we like bounce ideas off each other which becomes really hard when we all have different priorities and also have a deadline that's really fast approaching unlike some of the other stem activities well i think we've gone through the story of, of robotics then we we started at the beginning we've seen where we are now and we've seen what what it looks like in the future so my question now is looking back at like the story that we've woven here what do you think needs to be said that isn't said enough? Because we've made a lot of things clear, but for example, who do you think deserves more recognition or less recognition than they get? Who do you think, like one of the questions that I was going to get to earlier, but I think now might be a better time is who do you think was really impactful in your road up robotics? Uh, was there a specific person that invigorated your passion, for example? Uh, and then once we're done with that in the future, who do you think is going to come to the forefront and be like a leader that people might not know about yet? Um, in terms of things that we haven't really said yet, I think that while we've touched on some of the hardships about robotics, I think that there's so much positive to come out of the program, um, especially because of the fact that it's still developing. So the kids who are involved really play such a role in like creating a legacy and what the program's going to look like in the, in the future. So I think that there's a lot of positives to participating in robotics. Um, it's not just about the robot. I came in knowing like, just like, hey, a little Arduino LED is cool. Like, what is robotics? What do I do? How do I put these pieces together? Um, so I really think that there's so many opportunities to learn both like actual robotic skills, teamwork skills, like how to document your progress in a technical way, um, communicating when maybe you don't agree, working with adults and like having to be on the same page and work through some differences. Um, I think that there's really so much benefit and anybody could be involved in robotics. So where I see this going in the future is that like lots of people, maybe they're not in the iLab every day, but they're working on who knows what, maybe they're working on a poster or we want to make like a cool shirt design. Like, I don't know, there's definitely people out there or maybe a website. One of the things I'd Crown love to Jules see masks is like, really cool. for quarantine. We have a website now. 
Oh my gosh, Crown Jewel's face mask. That would be pretty cool. Put it down right now. I found right a company now. that does them. I found the custom ink company already, and I have a friend that's going to hook me up for cheaper because his friend's dad does it. So yes, there are Crown Jewel's masks in the world. Literally or, anything in life, like you could find a way to apply it to first. And yeah. I just hope that other people can recognize that. Whatever you're interested in doing, like yeah. it can be applied to robotics and we want you to apply it to robotics. We just, we want to get as many people on board, interested, aware about what we're doing and contributing as we can. Agreed. Christian. Yeah. All right. I would like, I'd like to give a shout out to my boys, uh, Alex Koss and Patrick Byrne. Cause, cause that 10th grade year when I led Shark Bay was actually probably one of the more fun times. Cause, cause they were like always there. And I'd also like to shout out AJ and Brett Hefner from my freshman year. I don't know how many of you guys know them, but they were like these two 6'10 twins who were like, and they both went to MIT, absolute like genius superstars. And like, they they like actually helped me so much my freshman year because they actually transferred from St. Andrews their senior year, but their mom was my English teacher in eighth grade. So, so that I kind of had that connection with them. And so they got placed on Shark Beta with me, even though they were like extremely overqualified and they like helped me so much because I was in varsity swimming my ninth grade year and that completely overlapped with robotics and they helped me so much to learn how to do things and so, actually actually took the time to teach me even when even the leadership wouldn't. And so like they've really helped me like actually stick with it and get where to I am today. And so I, I they like I'd probably credit them the most for like my success and perseverance. And they gave me a lot, a lot of life advice as well. And yeah, yeah. I'm newer, so my my idols are just kind of still here. Um, definitely, I'm gonna have to shout out Shane Pollock, one of my favorite people. I miss her dearly, but she was there all the time, and that was really helpful. Um, whether it was just teaching me how to chain, which has become my most useful skill in the iLab, or um, teaching me that things break and we got to fix it with duct tape. Those things made the difference. And then I would like to give some credit to Caitlin Ackerman and Danielle. Um, Danielle was the steadfast, she thought things logically, approached things in a manner that was feasible. And Caitlin was everything that I needed to know about the engineering notebook. And I owe her for that. It has only gotten bigger and better since. And then there's Liza and Christian and Chung and Gabe. Now, <laughs> I love them so much. They were my best friends and my mentors in every way, shape or form. I knew nothing about programming. And there's a lot of times where I doubted some of the hard decisions I had to make this year. Um, they taught me a lot. They, let, they helped me make those really hard decisions and hard calls. And they helped me say no to freshmen sometimes, even when it hurt me. I had a lot of trouble telling certain freshmen no. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I did sometimes. Because <laughs> I never want to kill someone's sparkle, but sometimes you have to. Um, and I think that the future of robotics is in people like Brian Lee, um, Ethan Grover, Jake Reimer, um, Sharnov. I think that those are like major figures in where the robotics team is headed. Um, I think Leah has been coming in a lot more and being very participant in it. And there's people who are the spirit element of robotics and bring the light like Karis and who are motivated to do things like the website last minute. And I think it's those people that really like shed light on why I get to do what I do and why I go to the iLab all the time. Cause like, I'm 
a little bit different from the people in robotics in that I do not want to do anything math, engineering, programming related in the future. Um, I kind of, once I'm done, I'm done, if that makes any sense. But I was in it. I was in first because of the family that it provided me. And I was in first because of the skills. And obviously tech is the future. And I wanted to know at least the basics of it. Um, but first has pushed me more. It gave me passion for something. And I think one thing I want to say is like, even when I couldn't, I wanted to literally throw the engineering notebook at a wall and like light it on fire. Like I've never had more support from older and younger people than I did this year. Like hands down, I've cried at competitions. I think everyone can say, I'm really passionate and I have a lot of emotions turns robotics and um, I've cried at competitions. I've cried leaving competitions when we got called to go to States. I fully freaked out. Like my face in those pictures just dropped. <laughs> I was so excited, um, but I don't know. It's the most exciting thing to see hard work pay off, but it's even more exciting when you do it with people that you love and love you. So that's I like think, my insight. I think we've mostly covered the robotic story then. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts or comments or anything else that you want to get out there? That's it then. Um, Thank you guys guess, for coming. Oh, I was just going to say, everyone, yeah, it doesn't matter what you're participate and that applies to not just robotics but life like if there's something you think sounds cool even if you have no reason or no interest to like continue it in the future um just say yes to opportunities um because yes. you don't really know what it's going to do or how it's going to benefit you and to add on to that join robotics love it i loved it i will continue to love it and there's times where people are like why do you even do robotics like you don't want to go into that field and i think the reason is because of what it taught me about being a team member, about being a business person, because you're always having to advocate for yourself, how to engage with adults, how to prioritize movements and start movements in a community, whether that be like a gender movement, an identity movement, a movement of just like positivity of face, like so many challenges. Um, robotics is so much more than a robot and it's so much more than just the game but it's like a group of people who are the most hardworking, passionate people I've ever met in my life. And I don't think robotics is, ex I think every activity has its own light and I never quit any of the other ones for robotics. But I will say out of all my activities, there was like a few I could never get rid of. And I think Corona really taught me that like taking a step back, looking at it, I miss every single moment I've ever spent in the iLab every single day. If there's any activity I would never give up, I would say it's robotics. And that's just because of the family and the people that it provided me. And also the, the time commitment paid off in some capacity, like the skills you take out of it. Like I'm obviously never going to be like, oh, I need to put together two aluminum channels that with this like one screw, but like what that taught me is just like pushing through it. Like you push so much. I feel like robotics was just push, push, push. And like people, I loved it. I love every moment of it. <laughs> yeah. A wise man once told me robotics is the hardest fun you'll ever have. And I, and I think that's a very true statement because it's actually so rigorous. 
and so frustrating yeah. that it's actually enjoyable once you get addicted to it after four years like me. You and sound so like an I'm I'm a robotaholic actually. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually like it's actually a true statement because like Maya said, there's so many intangibles that it gives you. It first gives you practical knowledge about technology yep. and like mechanics, which is invaluable in our ever changing world. But at the same time, it's giving you so many problem solving techniques and, and like perseverance tactics, I would say, because like you have to do things and you have to figure out how to do them. And it's just so invaluable to apply to life. And so I would recommend everyone at least try yeah. to join Robox. And if you do and you know you can't be super dedicated, just come like once or twice a week because people are super yeah. accepting. We, we love it when people come. And so oh, just come like and learn what you can. We're there to have a fun time. We like to meme a lot. Oh, yes. I think also, I think he, Christian, the word perseverance rendered well with me. Um, I really hate failure. Um, and obviously, when you work with robots, there's a lot of times mid-match, you feel like you failed. But I think that if there's anything I've learned from it, and I think first is so beneficial for this, there is no such thing as failure in the short term. I think failure is a very long-term word. That means, I think failure is when you encounter a rough match and you don't fix something or you don't learn from it or you don't push harder the next time. And had you asked me in the middle of our match, the second competition, if we were going to go to States, I would have laughed in your face and said, absolutely not. Like we just scored 120 penalties. Like we have set a new record for the number of penalties in one day. I have, <laughs> like, I have PTSD. Like I actually do. Like I have nightmares about it. Yeah. But I will say like, <laughs> I laugh every time I think about how we felt at that competition because of how insignificant that one instance was in terms of our failure, but how important it was for our progress. And I think that's robotics in a nutshell. It teaches you how spontaneity and failure and those types of entities shape you as a team and as a person and can make you better or worse. And we've seen teams that went both ways, I would say, where they hit the failure, they hit the rock, and they went backwards and there's teams that hit the rock and went forwards. And I would say for us, it was always forwards this season. And I just hope that for every, every activity or person who enters the robotic space, one feels welcome, but also whether they stay there for a year or four years, leaves feeling like they've learned more about themselves and the people around them than ever before. Because for me, robotics taught me that even if you get a bad grade on a test, even if you get if your robot breaks fully, a wheel pops off, like it's how you take that instance and turn it into a positive and grow from it. Because that's so much more, that's a better movie or story than it, someone who had it perfect the whole season in any book, I think. And also like be a really good liar. Cause like zip ties are not a utility tool. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think that that's another beautiful skill. Like learn you gotta how to, know lie how to yourself. walk the line. You gotta know how to walk the line. Yeah. I present, think present yourself in the way that judges want to see you. Yeah. Be really good at telling a narrative and be the best advocate of yourself. If you can't at the end of the day, advocate for yourself and your team, I think you're in the wrong activity. And I think that's why robotics is so amazing. Cause even when I really, really didn't like certain figures in the iLab, 
I, at the end of the day, knew my team had my back and I knew I had theirs. And I could tell a judge that any day. I could walk comfortably into every judge's interview with my fake smile and terrible laugh and pink that probably fell off everywhere and shed everywhere um, that I loved my team. And that's what every judge and person ever wants to hear. And it's not about colleges. It's not about anything. It's that at the end of the day, I don't think any of you are going to look back in your freshman year of college and be like, I loved first because of this one competition where we won, but you're going to look back. And I hope say first gave me so much more than just one robotics win. I hope, I, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I will. Well, thank you guys for coming. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I think I think it's been a good time. Aww. Thank you. Bye yeah. guys.